0: Rocking chair chair session with Elisa Di Battista Maria Teresa Teresa Barber.
1: Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone.
0: And welcome to RCS Rocking Chair Sessions, our 14th volume. Elisa and I, we were just, uh, you know, like doing this finger game. We were counting. We were, we were counting the Polaroids because we're getting <laughs> way up there. And I think I have the right numbers yeah. on the Polaroids. Yeah, do. I think do. It, it has That's to right happen. Here. Yeah. So number 14 with our guest
1: artist, Lauren
2: Hello.
0: Yes. Good welcome. evening. Welcome.
1: Can you please say your last name? Schwarzba so Schwarzba.
2: Yeah. Schwarzba. I was known as Lauren Ass for the majority of my childhood, so you're off the hook. It's okay. (laughs) Lauren Ass. Yeah, sports ball was too hard for my small young friends to figure out, or my teachers. So they called you Ass? Ass. Not Ass. S. Like S in the letter (laughs) S.
3: I was like Lauren
0: Ass, really.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You would be surprised at the other versions of my name I've gotten, like in, in sport, or what was in sports. My brother as well. He got like sports bra sports bar <laughs> like no it's just never mind
0: <laughs> okay so i have a theory about your name and i think that's going to be my first question here since i'm from austria i speak german and schwarz or Schwarzbau, i would say comes from schwarz bauer which actually means schwarz a schwarz means black and bauer means farmer so black farmer would be my explanation for your name i've gotten so my grandfather did an extensive family tree
2: following because we tend to americanize our names like and they'd start you know used to be Schwartz like you know ch and then probably b-a-u-m so it's either it was either
0: black forest or black bau they determined from where it started black forest would be schwarz okay and bau Like it's probably started. Schwarzbau. You're absolutely right. And I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to move the hairs out of the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to attack you. But you know what the funny thing is about Schwarzbau? Yeah. In Austria and in Germany, a lot of people don't want to pay taxes when they do construction work, right? And so if you do a Schwarzbau, a black construction, kind Uh of uh or a black work you um you do it basically under the table oh that's like black market it's kind of like a black market but on on a construction side you would call it black bow is kind of like a like a building or something but the, the the act of building so a black Builder is uh, a arbeiter which is. You've just name introduced is.
2: an entirely different element to my family lineage. So none of us have any.
0: Now I you understand your whole family, right, <laughs> That's Right. Awesome. We're a bunch of criminals. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I have to say farmers, that I in say. Austria, probably I don't know how many percent of uh, like family houses are built in uh, in Schwarzbau well, uh, are built like without you know under Mission the table kind that. of because like a lot money. of people don't have that much money you know <laughs> right. especially young families and so they they just ask their friends and they're you know yeah, and no they're doing it themselves and, yeah
1: i oh, talking about family we so. did look you up and we noticed that you um you hail from you, the New England area could you yeah. maybe tell us a little bit more about that? I was born in Stoneham
2: which isn't far f- outside of Boston and then grew up between massachusetts and mostly maine so i went to junior high and high school in maine and that's when all things nature kind of informed every cell in my body and but yeah i I pretty much spent most of my time in maine is in my formative years and then um went to college partial college in in hampshire Mm -hmm. aeronautical studies
1: nautical Um, studies like
2: aeronautics aeronautical uh like flight systems and oh, design and aeronautics. Ooh. But yeah, New England. I mean, that's an, it's just a beautiful place. The coast of Maine is just rocky granite, raw wilds nature, mm-hmm. and it definitely informed. It was the best place to be a kid. So it was very much. I was always outdoors, running around the in the woods, and I would sometimes imagine I was like a Native American. I'd have <laughs> had a bit of a, like a feather fetish. and would feathers everywhere and running around thinking I was a deer. It was kind of a mess, but in
1: a fun way. <laughs> I mean, kind of a healthy one.
2: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, good place to be, good, good camps and stuff. and all that. So, yeah.
1: Well, we do see nature in your current work, as well as the machinery, which makes me think of the aeronautics. What particularly in aeronautics were you, like, learning, were you learning to become a pilot? Yes, as well as a lot of, I was really
2: into the design of, of aircraft and the aerodynamics of different structures. And that was informed by, like, when I was a little kid, you know, put your hand out of the window of the car on the highway. and like, what makes it do that? So I kind of... Amazed by that, as basic as it is, and then I started volunteering at a uh, Alice Head Transportation Museum, which is like this. They had lots of vintage World War II planes, and I just went there like I will, I will, just wash all the planes. I just want to learn whatever I can learn. It's like who's this crazy 12-year-old? <laughs> so, I was 13 actually. I was 13 when I started there. So I was just around these awesome like old World War II vets, you know, ex pilots, Navy guys, you know, Army Army pilots. And they just loved that I was just like, who is? It? What's wrong with this person? Sure, he does teach her whatever she wants to know. So it just kind of it kind of stuck. So when I was in high school, my my I don't know. Instead of taking an exam, like my final exam for physics, I built a plane with a, a guy that was designing a bear coot, which was an experimental plane, very looks like a spaceship, it's wild. So my physics teacher kind of set me in a place, he gave me all these tools to work with that I was never really big in math and that was I was interested in something that took all of these strengths that I didn't really have. I, I had them but I, I didn't they were very buried under my artsy fairiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just wanted to be running around and writing and, you know, painting and stuff. Um, but that guy, there's always a you know a catalyst in our lives, or several. Mm-hmm. But this this guy, my physics teacher, uh, Mr. Bentley, he was definitely a, a catalyst towards it's like, you know what? Here are all the tools you need. Go for it. See what you come up with, and let me know how it goes. And so he believed in that in that passion, as as off kilter as it was for me and my background. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't the best student. I mean, I was always I was always capable of doing whatever I wanted, but I just. I wasn't that into school.
3: Mm-hmm. To
2: me, I learned more when I was out doing other things, like, I don't know, other things in general. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it kind of it grew from there so he took that side project as like a replacement of your final basically. i didn't even have to take a final that's
0: that's amazing. amazing. Like, we love you mr bentley <laughs> right. that's so
2: but cool it, it made sense because i learned so much more instead of just like studying i mean I, I did very well in the class because i realized how much i needed to be good at this because mm-hmm. at that point when i finally focused on what i wanted to do that was junior you know my junior year in college is weren't going to look very favorably, especially the ones I was, was entertaining. Um, you know, look at you know, C's and B's. And, so I had to get pretty good pretty quick and stuff mm. that mattered. Um, so yeah, but he's, he's like, if you have the discipline to figure out how to build a plane with somebody, then you know, like, <laughs> whatever you want. Uh, so it worked. I was, it was cool and I learned a good deal and, and made met some incredible people along the way. And uh, yeah, so that's for the New England thing and my family's still up there. And guess, yeah. So did you... Ever fly a plane? Yeah, I did. I meant, yeah, <laughs> my first <laughs> flight was in um a, a, a Waco, which is like a 19. Oh gosh, I'm a, I'm gonna get this number. This year wrong. It's like in the it's like the 40s. It's like an open cockpit, cockpit biplane. So you had like the leather helmet on. Oh, helmet. It's on. like the World War For planes. sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, so cool. <gasps> like so that. it
3: was Farm
2: crazy. Dusting
1: the, those oh, like that.
2: Nice. And uh. So that was my first flight ever, and then my first lesson was when I was 16, and that was like in Vancouver, or British Columbia, a friend of the family is like, okay, here, this is your 16th present. See if it sticks, see if it's for real, like if you really want to learn how to do this. So I was all for it. I never really, that never wavered. But uh, I like the poetry and the, the romance of flying. Like I, I went up over to Alaska to kind of scope it out and see if like I want to be a bush pilot. Like most average bush pilots have, you know, like a life expectancy like a week, depending on how bad they are. <laughs> Obviously, the good ones are still with us. But uh, watching, I was like, this is so cool! Like they're landing on icebergs, and they've got these giant, you know, black Cheerio tires, and they're landing on snow. I'm like, this is so neat. Um, so that that side of aviation has always been in my heart, mm-hmm. and uh, I was involved with corporate aviation, which is like, I mean, it sounds great on a on a business card. I'm an aircraft, you know, management consultant or whatever, but it's, you know, it's just like corporate jets and rich people that don't care about flying. They just want to like treat you bad and think that you're, you're paid slave, they're paid slave. And I'm like, this is really not my mind. So, for so that. it was that, a good experience, yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah, I just put that aside. That wasn't really my calling. It was a good, also, you know, I learned a lot, but. How long did you do that? I was like three years. Three years. No. Oh.
1: But so, it's also like a lens. I feel like when you're in a in a cockpit, which I've also had the luxury of being in, like it's it's a different viewpoint, like that viewpoint from above. Like you have your side window when you're traveling as a regular passenger, but when you're in the actual cockpit in the front seat, yeah. I mean, just the that viewpoint is just so majestic, and I feel like you, as a photographer, like you have like a certain viewpoint in how you visualize. What it's truly well. an
2: experience. It trans. Like I, I get chills just even thinking about that because it it inf it. Uh it shifts your perspective on so many other things on the ground.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when you're flying through a cloud. Like, mm-hmm. okay, The idea of flying through a cloud is kind of cool. <laughs> what a novel concept. Um, but when you're, you know, you're at the controls of a plane and you're making it do that, and then it's just a whole other depth of, of experiencing a moment.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like a whole other plane of reference that we've never had down mm-hmm. here on terra firma. Mm-hmm. So, and that absolutely... I was like, well, how the heck did you get from there to you know being a photographer, you know, or an artist? Like, well, I've always had the artist side to me, but I never really looked at photography as that was never really my medium. I never played with cameras. Really? So how did the you yeah said we were always, talking about that before? Like, where did you I begin? Didn't. Like, um, <laughs> I've had I feel like uh, several lives that kind of condensed into one. <laughs> so when I when I was second year in college, I took a break during summer to go pay off. I, I was modeling part-time on occasion when I was up there, and uh, aeronautic, you know, that kind of school was very pricey, so I came down here to, to model part-time, and it was meant to be part-time. And... Down here I was in Miami? Mm-hmm. Miami, yes. Yeah, so oh, Miami. really? Yeah. yeah. So I from college. signed okay. with Wilhelmina, and so good agency and all that, but I just, it were very unscrupulous people, my agent in particular,
3: that I ended up oh, yeah. having to work
2: with, and... So yes, it's a very illustrious concept, but this guy was a complete not so dirtbag, nice. to be honest. Ooh. To be really put it nicely, um, so I kind of, I kind of got stuck here a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my stuff was back home, or with my at that time ex-boyfriend um, in storage unit, and yes. there's so many layers of this. It's like I'm trying to condense a were lot.
1: stranded in Miami. <laughs> What a horrible, so, non-tropical. So, okay, so, but, so the camera thing, there's,
2: I will land my plane, as my, my hubby puts it, but, um, I went down, I, I started working at Nobu, which, I opened up this, ho- it was a restaurant in the hotel, it was like, you know, a big restaurant and all that, just to make really fast cash, like, for real, I'm actually on salary and all that stuff, and, and then I t- had taken a break for a couple weeks from that to go I worked in Key West because I needed to do something that was kind of healthy for my my soul because I am not a hospitality industry person I was in that a lot and it's you're doing everything for everybody else and that's good to a point until it starts sabotaging who you are as a person so I recognized that that was happening pretty frequently so I went to Key West worked on a schooner there schooner America super awesome huge old wooden thing and someone gave me a camera when I went down when I left Miami as a friend a friend of mine here say take this with you do something with it like, alright and it was a film camera 35 millimeter and so I ended up working with this particular crew of people that rotates quite a bit it's very historic it's the Schooner America it's like the America's Cup boat it was the exact replica of that original schooner it, was, it had a lot of soul to it and the Crew that happened to be working when I was there, it's like we had such an awesome chemistry together, we were such good friends. I started documenting like a day in the life of the America crew and submitted those photographs to a magazine and ended up winning this competition, this contest of sorts, okay. along with the story and the photographs and all that. I'm like, cool! So then I just kind of kept shooting and then. Some architect picked up a photograph, and then I got an architectural contest, you know, award. It was the thing, all these things. So it was all very organic, and then people just started seeing. My friends started saw my work and said, "Hey, can I can I buy that? I'm like, you want to buy that? Sure." <laughs> okay, <this is> cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, it happened very, very authentically. I never, I was never creating my work to make money. It was coming from the truest place there was, and. So I feel very blessed. I feel like I've kind of built my house from the top down. Like I didn't have any, you know, um, real education per se in in art until I went to ICP in New York.
0: International International Center for Photography, right? So that
2: was cool.
1: Oh, yeah. And then um, we noticed that you were there for about a year. How did um, going from somewhere that was tropical, as is obviously South Florida, to the city, like New York City, like how was that transition for you? Like artistically, do you feel your photograph shifted or your vision or your like, you know, practice? Can you kind of love it?
2: I love New York City. And also, I'm very much of a nature person. So I I couldn't, I was definitely living there full time for the duration of a year and a half. I was able to come back here on occasion because my my fiancé at the time was here. Um, it took, honestly, energetically, it was really, really taxing the first... It took about a month and a half for me to kind of find my rhythm. The transition uh, from to New York to, uh, to... And I had spent a lot of time in New York on business mm-hmm. before, but, you know, for a couple of days here and there, and I always loved it. But in, in, the, with that moderation. So I, I tend to be extremely sensitive to, to, to energies and I not to sound all new agey and weird, but it just absolutely, it took, it took all of my energy, mm-hmm. just sapped me. I'm like, I could have laid down in time score getting out of the subway in the morning to go to class and just fallen asleep. It was mm-hmm. like, it was really bad. And like, well, this is strange. But eventually, you know, it's like vibrational, like a frequency. Eventually, you kind of fall into suit with your environment mm-hmm. and what you're feeling, what you're seeing around you. And I intentionally, I found this little apartment in a, it was in um, in Soho. So it's like if I wanted to leave at two in the morning with my camera and just walk out, stuffs that always something is happening. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments one of my instructors had at ICP was you know, one of the, one of these nights you get a break the night, like don't sleep. You just walk and you just check stuff out and like photograph. And you can do that in a lot of places, but very few, is there something that you're going to see like nearly every minute? (laughs) So that was neat. So I really, I fell in love with New York in a very different way than I'd ever experienced before. Um, Some of my dearest friends I met at the time that I was there and it was like, oh, New York's very harsh. It's cold. blah, blah." like, you know, you get what you put out. Mm -hmm. And I was you know, I, I took that per, I attended that program with 60 other people from all over the world coming together over one common medium, which was really quite cool. So you have mm-hmm. so many different perspectives and called, you know, different, it's informed differently from, you know, depending on what their culture is. Or, mm-hmm. And, uh, I just learned to see in so many different ways. So it's like, you know, you can have a, a project you were working on kind of stuck with for a couple months or whatever. And, you know, you put your images out on the table and people look at that, like, well, have you thought about this? And like, that's awesome, this is brilliant, I don't know, because mm-hmm. you're just, you're in it, you're too close to it, um, and all, of New York in general is, it's such an incredible source of inspiration and, you know, creative feedback if you're open to hearing it, and, and recognizing that you don't have the answers to everything that you're doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but other people can help you kind of see them, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you're open to it,
3: and, mm-hmm. you know
2: generally have a good attitude <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean there are moments or, or there were days like for sure that i just i just stayed at my apartment because it was like it was almost too much i just needed to it was just too much mm-hmm. um or i'd take a drive and i'd, I'd go up to maine and see i would just go camping for mm-hmm. a weekend so mm-hmm. i needed that balance or it was just it was a little too much
3: mm-hmm. but it's yeah
2: Eric's yeah, nice. amazing and, i never once felt unsafe at any time even in the middle of the night i mean it was just i love that Mm -hmm. It's like humanity is really, really rich there, and people are—they look out for each other, even though they don't know you. Mm -hmm. They will put aside their busy life if they know that you are really seriously in a problem. You have a problem happening here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that was cool.
0: How did you find out about ICP and how how you know how come that around that you made the decision to move to New York and do Um, this? I initially
2: looked at Parsons because jared had taken some courses at parsons have you nice so i was all excited because it sounded like sounded amazing so i went and i met with them and they gave me a tour but they weren't as photo-centric photographically centric as i was an mfa
1: photography program that runs during the summers i believe it's like three years or so
2: yeah so they suggested for what I was looking for to look at it, to, to visit ICP. And mm-hmm. ironically, literally the next day they were having their open house and, and all that. So there were so many things that, mm-hmm. that happened with that. And then uh, to further that, to go back to the whole crazy, you know, visioning stuff and energies and all that. When I got home, I was so excited. I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply to this. And it was like two months, or it was like two months later when the, when you'd hear back from the from the board and um i (laughs) submitted my stuff and i drafted a letter on i made up icp header on my letter stationary and i hung it on my wall and it was like an acceptance letter (laughs) and i looked at it every day but not just like looked at it to look at it i i felt like i just opened it and said you're accepted i felt that Mm -hmm. every time and when i did get the letter it was practically identical to the one i made. It was nuts. <laughs> so I to- I absolutely believe her that that stuff makes, That's so great. you, you got to put it out there, but you got to be fully cellular, on a cellular level into what you're envisioning and what it is that you want,
0: or it's like,
3: um,
0: it's yeah, more just it, ether. There's a lot about this focus, right, that that gets you a long way if you're, like, focused on, you know, what you want and what you're going. I've had are. too
2: many experiences that back that up to deny it or to mm. pretend that it's not. It's not as effective
0: or uh, present, I guess, mm-hmm. as it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, when you were done with ICP, with that one and a half, one, one year and a so half, it's, right? It's it's, like...
2: it's a ten month program. Mm-hmm. I stayed, but like four extra, five extra months. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to. I was doing some work with Magnum, my Magnum Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just trying to get in a couple different. I, I was. I have a nonprofit that I, I run with my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that side of me too that was, kind of informing different organizations that I, I might intern with or which is funny like as a, at that point say I was, thirty, wow well, 36, 36. I was thirty five then, um, so the thirty five year old, or thirty anything year old you know, look, going and say, hi, I'd like to intern with you. You just feel like you're six. <laughs> it's like really hard to be very confident. I mean, be confident, but it's it just, I don't know. It's kind of a precarious thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, I, I stayed a few extra months also because I felt like I just had all this, these incredible new tools and I wanted to just play a little bit because I really was focused on all of the curriculum and the, and the assignments and all that. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to kind of be mm-hmm. for, for a little bit before I left and you know my other half was very supportive of that which is cool between him visiting me here or there and vice versa it was like it worked out also when he and i met he was going in the military so it was like it was easier for us to have that space because mm-hmm. of our history together mm-hmm. which was a blessing on top of everything else because mm-hmm. a lot of couples wouldn't have been able to pull that off it was
0: well, been that's a long time tense. to be so far apart right, right yeah mm-hmm. um, and then you, uh, when you moved back to Miami, was that also when you came to the bakehouse? Because yeah, we, so we forgot to say at the beginning, uh, Lauren is also an artist here at the bakehouse. And your studio number is? 30. 30. It's Doors downstairs. Open, visit. First floor. Please come yes. by, visit. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, no, it's so when I came back, I was really needing that, that artist, that collective, that creative collective feeling, because it was like this vacuum that was kind of left when I got back. <laughs> this is, I can't, this can't keep, this can't be, I need, I need good, I need collect, uh what, how to put, like-minded people, I mean, the that community. are excited community community about
1: what they're doing. Example. The same I mean, thing when I moved back from New York, it's yeah. like you go from having um like-minded individuals that are in their different mediums or in your case they were all in the same media but you could have like you could get feedback or you could have a sit down you could talk about you could go arting to different shows or just you know just have
0: yeah. that like you say community. you have the critiques all the time yeah. you know it's kind of like uh like for me it was also like when i finished mfa in san francisco and i moved here and it was also like i really needed the community in a way and even if there was not so much interaction at the beginning just to know that I'm, like, not on my own right. in a way, right? It's like, so I was uh,
2: introduced to the bakehouse by an associate artist who was using the darkroom. He knew I was looking for a darkroom others, wow. addition to everything else and heard about the bakehouse. Like, you no, know, how have I lived here for, at that point, like, eight years and I've never mm. heard of this place. <laughs> Embarrassing, but... Um, <laughs> We've since got since gotten better at it with our marketing, fortunately.
0: <laughs> that's good. We're still pretty much a secret for a lot of like clients, right? But it's oh, yeah, good. we're better known. <laughs> so my first studio was actually next door to where you
2: are now.
1: Oh and really? Yeah. we're on the second floor currently. Oh my god! So, um,
2: yeah. yeah. So we've got we've got the dark room, which is like finding a unicorn and well
0: anywhere now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you so, yeah. you worked in the dark room right from the beginning? Uh, yes. But I was doing a lot of alternative processes, so mm-hmm. the stat the state of the
2: darkroom then didn't really bother me because I was doing things in there. Was then it I didn't really, really bad then? But a bit of a
3: well, a bit here, of I'll, a mess. I'll put it this way.
2: <laughs> because it's such an archaic process, nothing's really changed <laughs> since. So you can make what I could easily make what was there work perfectly fine. It didn't take like NASA grades, anything to to, to bring it up to where it needed to be. So yeah. it worked out, and that was. Even more spectacular.
0: It is we have spectacular to say, now. I mean, if you're we have to say firm, that well. uh, the dark room at the Bake House got a complete overhaul thanks to Pedro Watson and others. But he was mainly the the guy who did it, and it's like. Perfect. Like everything is cleaned out. Everything yeah, is is uh, put together. Almost all too clean. I'm afraid to make a mess. I'm still like you know I, I I didn't go back. I was developing a lot before the clean up. Kind of and now I feel like oh my god I don't want to mess yeah, it up. We need down. to go and make a mess of the for sure. But I didn't know you were in there a lot like before it got really bad or I don't yeah, know. I was doing a lot of like Holga. Like
2: it was all it was all very alternative. A yeah. lot of it was. Using the UV boxes oh, okay. and stuff for different things mm-hmm. like cyanotypes and the Van Dyke process, and so a lot of it was more just the chemistry, and I just needed the UV lamps. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I, I was shooting digital quite a bit, and then I felt that that was taking my hand out of the process. Yeah, and I was that was curious. Ask, like, really how
1: you felt about digital versus more
2: disconnecting more me? So it's yeah. good for you know certain clients or you know assignments that you know you need immediacy. Mm-hmm. and even Polaroid is not immediate enough for them. It needs to be, you know, firewired in your laptop and online. And, you know. So that's more documentary or, or whatever. So there's a, there's a place for that, but the art side, the artwork that I create is almost always film now. Mm-hmm. Um, and even there's one piece I have in my studio that half of it was done uh, digitally and the other half was done with film because I had an underwater camera and I couldn't figure out how to waterproof my, Pol- my Polaroid at the time. So, but there was no Photoshop. Instead of, like, I'm trying to figure out how can I authentically bring these two images together that doesn't involve software. So I ended up having to print it on this handmade rice paper to get the transparency aspect of it and layer it over the film photograph to create what I was looking for. And it was so hard and so stressful because I was like running this paper, unbeknownst to the ICP people, through these you know ten thousand dollar printers, and hoping that I didn't break it. <laughs> but it all worked out. But I mean, so it was kind of stressful, but at the same time, so much more rewarding because you're doing something that, well, not that you're just not supposed to, but that, <laughs> that you've no one's seen done yet, and that I've certainly never tried. And then say it's completely hands-on because you, you know you're massaging the paper through this to make sure there's no bubbles and that the wrinkles don't destroy you know six foot worth of paper print and all mm-hmm. this. So it's yeah, I'm all about the analog. And I it was really good exercise in another sense that earlier when I was when I was shooting, I'd, I'd have a vision in my head. If it didn't come out exactly like that, I'd get kind of annoyed. Like man, it was just taking the fun out of it. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well something's got to shift. And Obviously, I'll keep learning it and I'll make better pictures, but, th- but it's my mentality that's got to change, or I'm just not going to, to enjoy my own process, which kind of defeats all of those points. <laughs> so, one of the greatest lessons I got out of ICP was um, an instructor, Marina Berrio, and one of our assignments to I don't know, I, I decided to make a pinhole camera out of a matchbox and two canisters of film. So, I was great focus and attention and planning took my 36 exposures and I like, did seven you know like seven minute long exposures all over New York City with these you know historic beautiful incredible spaces the light was just right and all these things I mean each photograph probably took me a couple hours of planning around it so I was very excited when I went to develop the picture the, the photos for the assignment and then I get my 36 exposures and if you come down to my studio, I'll show you. It's 36 of, like, these interplanetary sunsets. Like, what the... What? <laughs> what just happened? It was like I was getting attacked by photon beams or something throughout my entire roll of film. So I was very, very angry at this. And when I brought my photos in and I put them on the table... I mean, I didn't have a tantrum, but I was physically upset. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I completely messed this up. I don't know what I did wrong. Here's a, th- here's my stuff. And, and uh, she was very quiet, and we had... You know, our entire class is sitting around this long conference table. There's like 20 of us, and she's standing there in quiet, in silence, just kind of sorting these things out and kind of putting them in lines. and And she put them in this series, and we're all like, "That's amazing! <laughs> <laughs> That's gorgeous! This is brilliant!" Like, exactly. No, I no. no, but it's like she she taught us in that quiet silence, silent moment, how to take something that might be completely the opposite of what you ever wanted and it just be, it became like the most powerful thing probably a lot of us took came away with because you're look you're allowing what has come of something to just it became something incredible all in its own like completely different it was mm-hmm. even it was even more beautiful and more i mean, it was abstract but it was really really cool mm-hmm. So that honestly shifted how I started approaching my work from from then on, and then I started really loving you know the alternative process because a lot of it's like it's very painterly,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you can still make a mess. I miss making messes. It's hard to make messes with digital photographs mm-hmm. unless you blow up your computer, um, or with Polaroids. So I'm doing scans of my Polaroids. So instead of you see this three by three you know, image, which is beautiful, but when you start going getting. Getting into it and going bigger, its there's so much going on with crystallizations and tonalities and the chemistry that are altered by the temperature. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually keep some of my film at different temperatures because you get different tones. You mm-hmm. get cool blues and, and
3: stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: Miami usually, if you don't do anything with it, it's like yellows everywhere. It's very warm. Um, so I loved that because you were guiding the subject, but that's about where your control ended. You kind of pretty much for sure that it would be in that frame, mm-hmm. <laughs> but as far as the exposures and all that, it was a lot more up to you know the ether around you <laughs> as to what you're going to see out of it or the you know how how the chemistry might miss a corner or how it might explode over here in the middle of your picture. It was a really good personal experience that absolutely changed my approach to things for the better.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I like how you mentioned the painterly. Can you tell us a little bit more about, like, um, prior to um, being introduced, like, the, the, the photographs and basically the camera and being just told, okay, go run with this, you mentioned how you, you were already artistic. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, the mediums and, like, your experience? with that? Um, My...
2: Well, to give you... It started very early, like, 4 or 5. I think I... The first and only time I ever said to anyone that I was bored. And my mom looked at me and she's like, really?
0: Mm-hmm. And she
2: left and about 15 or 20 minutes later came back and have like having harvested all these completely random unconnected disconnected things and put it in front of me on the table she's like you're bored huh make something okay (laughs) it was also one of the best lessons I think a parent could ever do Mm -hmm. I never ever ever said I was bored again because I realized there's no place and there's no place for that there's just always something that you can do something with so I never really had a singular medium um, it was, I would, uh, I was painting a lot. it did a lot of pen and ink, like line drawings.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I was writing, I, I wrote a lot, um, but I would kind of incorporate the, right, uh, the ink sketches into the writing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I mean, I tried watercolor. Eh, that was fun in concept. It was very delicate, but I felt it was almost too relaxed. I liked acrylic because I could make, you could make bring texture, you know, to the whole thing on top of just, you know, pretty photographs. Like, it's tactile.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but that was that was it. I never really I had, you know, incredible a couple of really great art teachers. Um, but that never really went beyond high school. So everything else is just I've always personally been motivated. That's been my outlet. You know, I've mm-hmm. had a lot of not easy experiences in life, which is a good thing. Um, but my writing or being creative with whatever's around me really helped to make the most amazing lessons or experiences out of those not so great moments. Mm-hmm. Have you ever published anything of your writing? I was in some different anthologies in high school. I submitted some things, um, so they, they did get published. They were in a, like short, like short fiction, mm-hmm. um, some poetry. But after high school, I never. It wasn't. It was important to me personally. It mm-hmm. wasn't important enough to me to, to put it out there to other people because it was more for, for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: With my photography, um, it was very much... Well, firstly, it was for me. And then when I started working more with digital and then with documenting like nonprofits, it was very much for that cause, mm-hmm. which is obviously a very good thing. But at the same time, I wanted to find a way to still keep the art side and keep the... Uh, the soul, the um, what keep the feeling, the emotion that I had about the cause, how to keep, how, how to be able to still sp- uh, speak through art in the documentary piece. I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: It does. <laughs> it, so you know, no, it's, it's a always way a, way. a lot about for me. Art making is a lot about also playfulness and a lot about freedom, right? So if if that's like um. I was trying to find a way to hybridize it. Yeah. So mm. instead of just having two different lives where, you know, one
2: side I do documentary work over here and on this side mm-hmm. I do my fine art over over mm-hmm. here. So it's still two categories, but there are a lot of areas where I'm able to kind of cross over and mm-hmm. one filters the other and they kind of blend. I mm-hmm. mean, um, visually there's a place
1: you're still in it. control, yeah. Visually mm-hmm. you're still in control and you still like more or less decide how you're going to capture that moment.
2: Well, yes, for sure. And then I've also learned that... A lot of the greatest the greatest way to receive a positive response about any cause is not by you can't motivate people through guilt and showing them you know the atrocities. Okay, obviously there are atrocities. We all know that. We're not it. We get it. So how to translate how to translate the issue at hand into a beautiful into something that's really, really beautiful that they want to be a part of. They either want it in their home or they want to learn more about it because they're so drawn and they're so moved by an image that spoke to them on a level that's beyond just visual. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So that's how I was able to kind of blend those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, So that made me happy because I was really frustrated. Like, how do do I do this? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it kind of happened. It was just organic. It's like if you just... You know, if you feel it enough, and eventually it just kind of happens,
0: like, oh, that, that, okay, oh, great, check, mm. check that box. <laughs>
3: mm.
0: Is is this under the name uh, Suntory Red? Suntory. What is it We s- were wondering about where that's coming. And from. you didn't research? This? No, yes. no. We yes. didn't ask you. That whole um, you uh, discovered s- the whole. Suntory is the
2: Japanese term for the moment of enlightenment, like the aha. Oh, okay. So when you're just. You know, you're just kind of like smacked upside the head by like that's. It's 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 not a feeling. It's not a singular element of an experience. It's just that feeling in your in your belly that makes you realize like you just saw something for the first time. Even though you've seen it every day, you never saw really, you never really experienced its mm-hmm. true presence. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and the red is nothing to do with my hair color, contrary to people thinking <laughs> that. It's more the sense totally
0: of <laughs> then. it's totally, totally it's it's that. meant
2: it's a sense of urgency. I feel like we all really urgently need that moment, that mm-hmm. Satori. In 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 our own lives, but also
0: well, everywhere at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh so yeah, mm-hmm. so that's where that came from. Mm-hmm and um can you talk a little bit more about the works that you do for the ngos like is is it more in the states or is it abroad they are uh, mostly most all of them are in thailand um,
2: chiang mai northern thailand Mm. um into including like the border near the border of burma um like kenshinaburi and um we have done some relief efforts in haiti because it's been in my it was in my backyard and i also that's, a, that's for another interview. It's going to be long. But, um, but no, most of our work is in Thailand. So we're focused it's Genesis Network. And we're focused on pretty much pulling the rug out from under the entire network of child traffickers, slavery, recruitment, all of that. And most of that is you, you're going to source it back to Northern Thailand. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, we've got you know trafficking problems here. And so we had all these same problems here. Oh, we for, for sure do. But the roots are coming from that from that tree
3: mm-hmm. and
2: by going that's the hub so that's why we do most of our work there um, so that's yeah we build schools and vocational centers and the idea is to create an infrastructure within these communities so that they don't need nonprofits coming in to save them anymore mm-hmm. they understand they have they're given the tools that they need to work with and capitalizing on the strengths they already have to create the economy they need so they don't have to rely on selling their children
3: mm-hmm. so and, nice
2: and and it's an education it's there's an educational format infused for the adults too not just for the kids because they really don't understand you know what is happening to their children when they send them to a better better place in the city where they can get education they really mm-hmm. don't know
3: mm-hmm.
2: um so by you, 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 by creating that infrastructure and just it's educating from from you know bottom to top and, and, and vice versa mm-hmm. and creating giving them the tools they need to just they eventually never we phase out of that whole formula is, mm-hmm. the, is the idea Mm-hmm. And we're very, very grassroots. It's only you know, four or five full-time people, and mm-hmm. then if we're ever, you know, when we're working on a project, we've had people like hundreds of people from completely diff- all over the world, from Australia to Japan to California, um, and they just come together. And it's you know, someone has mortar, someone knows how to lay brick, someone knows how to teach English. So eventually, you just have this entire picture. It's all like little pixels come together over a common. Common goal and a common vision,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's incredible what you can do. And the other thing is, a dollar goes a lot farther there mm-hmm. than than here, unfortunately. And there's a lot less red tape,
3: mm-hmm. a
2: lot of military and, and all that. But it's like the people that we work with—they're from there. This is that—that that is their land, mm-hmm. and they know these people. So we have we have all of that red tape that is there for a lot of other organizations that's completely removed, and we just like you know, once mm-hmm. funding helps, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, it's really exciting to see what you can, what can get accomplished there in pretty short order.
0: How did this whole area start for you? <laughs> this, is I'm, like, this is my brother. Flying planes and making This is my brother. He went it's your, to it's your yeah. brother. Uh-huh. He's a uh,
2: so he's active army at the moment. Um, but he so when he was like 18, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah, he was 18, or 18, and he volunteered with USAID in Phuket, I'll talk later, uh, when the tsunami hit. And it was meant to be a short stint, and he saw, you see a lot of atrocities when you're out there for more than a week here or there, and mm. he, he just, he, he stayed out there for, he was probably out there for like close to a year, fell in love with the culture and the people, and was really, really motivated to... To create something that's more long-lasting than just building a couple buildings or schools or whatever they were building at the time through mm-hmm. through USAID. So he came back a really a very different person. He was in a, a dark place. Um, he saw some stuff that you know he, we taught. We're very close, and I I I, I will never know
3: some mm-hmm. of the
2: stuff that he's he saw. Um, but I got a call one morning. This is a, maybe a month or two after he got home. And it was, it was really late. It was like midnight or 1 in the morning. And he told me, he's like, i we got to do something more. I, I want to do an organization or a nonprofit. Or I'm like, OK, because both of us have absolutely no idea where to start with that. But why not? <laughs> and so I had a you know, glass of wine. And like, we just brainstormed and came up with Genesis Network. Genesis is an acronym for Global Empowered Net- Networking through Enlightened Social Improvement and Sustainability. And I'm like, wow, we're good. Because that was that was
3: <laughs> We did. <laughs>
2: I was like, "Wow, this is, this, yeah, we did this, this in two hours. Somewhere. It's good wine." Um, but it it it's a, a long acronym, but we, we do a lot. The idea is pulling together all of these different tools and resources. It's not all just about money. You can have people with so many different backgrounds that don't even know each other, we come together over that one vision, and stuff just happens. Mm-hmm. It was it was crazy. Someone, you know, how quickly we built some schools that relief effort in Haiti we didn't have any connections there at all but we found enough people with enough of what we were looking for Mm -hmm. and they were all on board and it's Mm -hmm. including you know getting a private planes to carry us there like this Mm -hmm. is this is happening Mm -hmm. so it's really exciting because it's like there's really nothing that's not possible Mm -hmm. so how long have you been doing this that we uh, founded that in 07 Well, ten years—it's crazy.
1: Does that help inform your work? Like this different viewpoint, do you find inspiration? Do you come up with new series from that? Do you document when you're abroad? Yeah, Um, I wouldn't say it informs.
2: Say it doesn't inform my artwork subject-wise, but in terms of how my spirit feels. it, it's definitely, ch- it, uh, I appreciate a lot of things, mm-hmm. a lot of things a lot more and in different ways than I maybe would have 10 years ago.
3: Um,
2: I'm also really sensitive to that stuff to begin with. But uh, for the first time, honestly, I just went out to those projects in Thailand in October. And I had been working for, for years, you know, fundraising and getting other volunteers together and, and to go out there and do that. So... And I never, I never met these kids firsthand. I was you know, talking to them. I had other photos of them from other people. And it was just, I felt like I was missing. So it was a big part missing. So to go out there and, and see the schools that, you know, I've worked really hard here to help, you know, put together and get the funding for it and meet the kids that were, you know, that are enrolled in these classes and that we just built a library for, like, this is so, it's just, over, it's amazing. Wow. So yeah, you kind of come back on a, like, levitating mm-hmm. a bit. Because um, it puts you're putting the the human you're putting the human aspect back into uh, into human giving instead of just like going online and saying here's twenty dollars and that, that's it and then you mm-hmm. go it's about your business yeah. you see where it's going and you're more part of it's a fabric mm-hmm. that you're part of instead of just like some clicks and some buttons mm-hmm. and stuff so
3: mm-hmm.
2: so that was cool mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's it's an active ongoing thing where's your brother at the moment. He, Adam is based, oh, right now, yeah, he's actually in, in uh, North Carolina. Um, he's been based in Okinawa with the Army, um, but he has an exercise here. So he's just the fact that he's in the contiguous U.S. makes me smile. Um, yeah. But he has, yeah, my little brother's a Green Beret. It's crazy. Mm. I can't pick on him anymore. <laughs> he gets back. Wow. <laughs> but uh, no, he's pretty cool. Oh.
3: Uh-huh. But
2: uh, no, he's in Japan. He's based there for a bit more. In, in Japan? Okinawa, yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So I will Incredible. must go visit before he's done.
3: Mm-hmm. Or
2: I feel very I missed when he was in Italy because I'm insane. I don't know.
3: <laughs> but
1: yeah. On your website, do we have time? Okay, five minutes. Um, you have a few series. Like there's this. Well, the one that I like. There's one that has like mostly machinery, but you also have like the more. I feel like the one you talk about like, this human connection to nature, um, like the more landscape scene. Um, how do you feel differently, like from the hard, um, kind of sort of like coldness, that you would receive from like machinery that's like this en- inanimate versus like the natural, more like energy-driven um, natural scenes. Like, what's for that's you? That's a very the, good separation? question. Um, so when I shoot, that those are all
2: those are aircraft parts and engines and things. Oh, so um, going back to the aviation. Okay, cool. And motorcycles. And motorcycle. Right. Well, the motorcycles a little different. But with as far as the engines go and the aircraft aspects and photos, I've approached those as portraits. I know they're inanimate, but there's so much going on in terms of... I mean, these are old vintage planes that were kind of <laughs> melting into the planet. And there's just the, the patina and the oil. And to me, there was like a lot going on there, like this, this these storied elements to it. Okay, okay. So to me, it was still... It was still a portrait of sorts, mm-hmm. which is kind of how I approach my photos of nature. To I mean, it's like a portrait of a moment, a personal experience, something that I can't. If you just see it with your naked eye, it's like you don't you don't really see it until you capture it through a particular light or with a particular kind of film that's like grainy, and it just just it adds a level a layer of poetry that you're not going to always get with a naked eye, and also see things weirdly, but. Um, so in, in that sense, they are connected in that they're showing they're depicting another layer to the subject that you might not see. if It's not framed that certain way or mm-hmm. has that certain light hitting it at that certain moment.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but I've had people walk in my studio like, wow, how many artists are you showing here? <laughs> no, they're all me. <laughs> so fair question.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. But there is something very intimate about your pictures of machines like there's almost a love story going on or like there is there's i don't there know there is like there's, this, a love, there's there's a love a, there's a love the colors and also like the the framing of you know the the engine parts it's not uh, just an engine like it feels like there's It feels more. like yeah like when you say it's a portrait no. I, I i definitely can see that in the in the, the motorcycle yeah. piece that you're referring to that's like one of
2: my people love that i mean that's one of the things that's not really i just had and there's no Photoshop in that, by the way. That is the same lighting. The BMW, lighting. yeah, it was, went bonkers on the lighting, but um, it's still a portrait. But it's it's almost like it got to be. Because it was cool in its day, in 1933. I'm yeah. like, it's back to having its own party. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, I'm still I'm still relevant. This is this is neat. Um, it was a, a very different approach than I usually take with my work, but it was fun yeah. to
0: do. And I mean, as a psychologist, I always think about uh, you know, Jung is basically the guy that always makes the best you know connections between like inanimate objects and what what they can mean for the for the human psyche, you know. And usually, it's like I, I probably think about more about houses and how the house is like a and could could be like a representation of of identity, right? And I'm just thinking about what what what, an, what a plane could kind of. Be a metaphor for of the in, of the inner world, you know, of the oh, sorry like if it if it is all about like a, you know, kind of relationships of different parts so there's working a together I have like, of a plane that's mm-hmm. sitting in the
2: in, in very very tall grass. It's like being mm-hmm. reconstituted into the earth, mm-hmm. like. And you just your planes just supposed to be in the, in the air and flying through pretty blue skies and all that and carrying us to all these different places and to me it's like it kind of brings it back to our plane of, of living
3: mm-hmm.
2: no pun intended sorry no plane of living <laughs> right um, So that photograph I love because it's it's actually a visual blending of that boundary. Mm-hmm. so it's kind of bringing us back into mm-hmm. the same place like on the ground mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
3: anyway.
1: Yeah, I guess this is a moment we normally ask like are there any special projects coming up for you? Is there anything you might want to experiment? Any new series or trips coming up for you? I so you have a show uh, I was just invited to, be, to participate
2: in a show with um, Catherine Mixell and Umbreda Agro. Oh, so I'm excited because I respect, I love Catherine. Oh, I respect wonderful. them both very much, so I was super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be in Wynwood, right? Mm-hmm. In uh, Sept- September. For a second, mm-hmm. for, a second for mm-hmm. our listeners, mm-hmm. check it out. So, I've read a, like, a couple pieces I already have, but I, there's a couple. I've been experimenting with these crazy film panoramics that are mm-hmm. multiple exposures, and I kind of like to do something completely new and maybe like Wonderful. a lithograph or something of mm-hmm. some sort. So mm-hmm. I'm going to play a bit. So that's what I've... Time that's for That's first play. On Horizon.
0: Wonderful. Well, it's time for Maria to ask our last and very question. last question. Go ahead, Maria as you know you've been sitting in a magical rocking chair oh, right? and yes. the chair grants you three wishes after going through the ordeal of answering all our mean questions, questions. Wow. <laughs> so what would your three wishes be um... that should be as hard as
2: is, is to answer So, i I have a lot of wishes i'm trying to there's one there's one that would probably resolve a lot of the other address a lot of the other wishes if it actually came true
3: mm-hmm.
2: um... if we could all of us, <laughs> all human beings, remember that we're all made of the same. All of, we're all made of the same stars. All the same. We're part of the same fabric. And I think that would really our level of respect for ourselves and each other and our planet would shift to a very higher level where it belongs, mm-hmm. and that would kind of trickle down into all the other concerns I have, which are environmental and sociopolitical, and you know that we don't kill each other off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one wish uh... Another wish would be that all of that my family members have live are able <laughs> have the platform to live their life to the f- fullest, most healthy, happiest, free extent, so they can do whatever it is that they feel they must do that will mm-hmm. make them happy. That would be great. That's actually mm-hmm. wonderful. About that could occur.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, two external wishes is
1: there one for you a personal one
2: uh if i could completely eliminate judgment of self and of others i feel that i would live my day and i I do that for the most part but certainly not devoid of judgment on all (laughs) occasions at all times um i think i would create on a completely a, a whole other level Mm -hmm. and i think i just live a different in in an even on a higher plane
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and yeah i feel i do that to to a point but
1: Mm -hmm. keep trying Mm -hmm. oh we hope our chair grants you those wishes
2: oh
0: yeah Yeah. our our chair is thank you
1: chair
2: thank you so
0: much lauren
1: for coming
2: thank
0: Thank you you, lauren that was wonderful it was a really beautiful journey that we were Able to witness. Yes, well, thank you um, for the guidance. I love that it wasn't linear. I just love that it just not at all. Uh, <laughs> we were flying no. around. I'm not what? the most linear-minded Loading person in a, in a plane. <laughs> 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 all right, thank cool. you so much, guys, for listening again. And we're going to be back next week. Yes, with rocking chair session number fifteen, 15 already. You know, and Barbara Bolini, Bolini. is going to oh. visit us next week. Yes, she is. All right, we look forward. So, thank
1: you, Lauren. Thank Thanks, Lauren. Lauren. Thank you both. And bye I'll guys, bye. bye. bye.